Hello and welcome to Queer Pages, the podcast about queer writing. My name is Philip and I use he him pronouns. And my name is Pippa and I use they or she pronouns. And we're two friends who initially connected through their shared involvement in LGBTQ plus community organisations. I think Pippa would agree that we continue holding LGBTQ plus spaces and representation to high regard. We're both PhD researchers with a passion for social justice. At the same time, we love books and storytelling more broadly. Queer literature in particular is something that has connected us as friends. Having attended and organised the same LGBTQ plus book clubs, we decided to take it a step further and quite literally make a record of the discussion surrounding queer social justice in particular, which are prompted by so many great pieces of queer writing. Today we will be discussing Booker Prize winning novel The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. Um, but before we do that, um, because this is the first episode, we thought we'd introduce ourselves uh, and introduce kind of what this podcast um, is about and how it links in with our research. Um, so yeah, as Philip was saying, we're both PhD researchers. Um, I'm working on LGBT plus volunteering communities in higher education. Um, so that's student networks and staff networks in um, English universities how they construct notions of care, notions of support, um, how they organise themselves. Um, and one thing that I'm really um, intrigued about is these informal settings of care and support, um, and particularly these settings like book clubs or film clubs, um, and what what they do when, they, when they're not directly related to you know, LGBT plus campaigning, LGBT plus liberation, but just that social setting of, you know, doing the same thing together or reading the same thing together, I'm, I'm very, very interested in. Um, Philip, do you want to talk about your research? Yeah, sure. Um, so my PhD is in, in mental health and psychology. And uh, within that, I do look a little bit at the uh, disparities between... Um, LGBTQ plus community and others um, but more specifically um, I focus on um, development of mental health difficulties and gene environment interactions and interplay between yeah, genetic um, risk and genetic predisposition to developing outcomes like depression and anxiety and their interaction with environmental factors um, and kind of the intricacies of that so for example you might be at higher genetic risk and therefore being exposed to victimization, which is an environmental factor that I'm interested in and so often experienced by LGBTQ plus people, um, is going to affect you more strongly than someone who's got lower genetic risk. So, uh, yeah, that's broadly what uh, what I'm interested in my research. Um, I'm currently doing a project on self-harm as well and sociodemographic um, factors associated with it, including sexual minority status, ethnic minority status, and um, socioeconomic status. And before we get to our next question, I also wanted, Pippa, if you could tell us a little bit about your sort of community volunteering organising involvement. I know that you're involved in quite a lot of things that are quite relevant to, yeah, like queer pages, queer writing, and just queerness in society. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I have been involved with um, the charity Just Like Us as an ambassador, as a volunteer, um, and part of, of sort of their ethos is um, looking at storytelling as a mode of connection. Um, and similarly, I've, I've done writing myself through LGBT plus writing networks. Um, I've 
you know, being very involved in um, sort of events around LGBT plus writing and connecting not just through stories, but through storytelling specifically. Um, similarly, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about yeah what you've done in that regard. Yeah, of course. Um, so I've also I I also used to be involved in just like us, and more recently I was the LGBT LGBT plus officer at KCSU. So um, as a sort of part time volunteer officer, focusing on um, on organising LGBT plus um, initiatives throughout the year, and um, quite a few of them for me included channeling my passion for literature into community organising at Kings and. Um, that involved organising uh, literary events with uh, with queer authors and talking to them about their writing. And then I've kind of, I've also taken it a bit outside of Kings and organised um, some stuff at the um, LGBTQ plus community centre in London. And really, in terms of having these discussions, for me, everything started from attending LGBT plus book clubs and being an organiser of an LGBT plus book club, then doing these literary events and then thinking, I love having these conversations and I just wish they were kind of immortalised and recorded rather than only available to those who attended the event. And likewise, when I tried to record the literary events, it was a slightly different reach when it was a video recording than the audio format than that we're attempting now that has become so popular with with people and I think um, yeah that's that's how I've gotten here in terms of my past experiences with community organising yeah Brilliant. and yeah um, let's if we move on to our next question um, Pippa what has been on your queer radar this week so yeah like <laughs> The, the difficulty with answering this question is that I wanted to just name a bunch of books, but then obviously we might want to save them for like further episodes. Um, reading a lot, but if I have to choose something that is um, not book related or writing related, um, obviously Spotify Wrapped. When we're at the time of that we're recording this, Spotify Wrapped has dropped like two one week ago, ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know, something like that. Um, top 0.05% of Mika listeners worldwide um, wear that well as thank you, <laughs> I wear that as a badge of honour um, yeah and just like so many people coming out of the woodworks and you're like I, I also like Mika and no one else seems to like appreciate him past the first album, everyone's like yeah, it's the guy who like did that one album in 2007 I'm just like no, he's done so many great things since and all of his albums become like increasingly like exponentially more gay as they go on and they're brilliant um yeah so i've been going back to listening to that um also i feel like fleetwood back i know i know that like the whole point is that they were all in various like straight relationships with each other but every single lesbian i know is like obsessed with fleetwood mag so i feel like that is that's got a place somewhere listening a lot to um to that at the moment as well um yeah how about you what's been on your radar I just want to say that I have to go back and um, check Mika out for sure then. In terms of my radar, I think coming into this room, I didn't have anything prepared. And then I was like, oh my God, duh. I went to see Emma Corrin in Orlando yesterday. And it was so brilliant. And it's so classically queer. Obviously, if, you, if you're familiar with the story of Orlando, it is about a person who 
kind of changes their gender or um, in the way that uh, Virginia Woolf is writing about it changes their sex throughout their life and it's also a very immortal person who lives through through centuries and remains somewhat young but also there's an element of like queer coming of age in it but coming of age across centuries of being 15 in 1500s and then being 19 in 1600s and um well there are so many reasons why it is on my my queer radar i absolutely loved the play and i love the way that um that emma portrayed orlando and i thought that they were brilliant in in the performance and if you've previously seen orlando the movie with tilda swinton which was also fairly good I would say that it was nowhere as good as the this recent stage adaptation and particularly because Emma has managed to kind of bring it to life so vividly and so emotionally that I felt the things that Orlando experiences um, through their life so much more strongly than when Tilda Swinton did it in the movie adaptation. I also think that the movie adaptation was trying to be quirky in the way appropriate for the time that it was filmed um, and just just not as good as the play. The play was so, so good and I recommend it to everyone. I mean, I, I haven't seen the play so I can't comment on that distinction but it, if it doesn't have the lead singer of the communards in it what, you know, it can't be better than the film. He's wow. right there. He's right there singing wow. a song. But Emma's there. <laughs> doesn't just... You know, doesn't Emma just overtake that? Um, I guess it will just have to sort of... We'll have to wait until you see the play and then maybe agree to disagree. Um, yeah. Right, brilliant. That's, that sounds great. Um, I'm, I've heard a lot of people um, say really good things about it, um, so I'm definitely going to try and check that out before it closes. Um, shall we go on to the discussion of, of the actual novel? For sure. I can't wait to talk about... Um, the seven moons yeah brilliant um so for people who are not familiar with the novel i'll give you a short synopsis so the seven moons of maria almeida is set in 1990 in sri lanka um during the conflict between um sinhalese and tamil sri lankans um which is dividing the country in civil war um we follow uh mali who's a war photographer um and he's a very I know it's a bit cliche to say, but he's a very complicated protagonist. Um, on one hand, he very idealistically uses his photography or tries to use his photography to uncover all of the injustices committed during the Civil War. Um, but then on the other hand, in his private life, he is very far from perfect. Um, he compulsively cheats on his partner. Um, he lies to his partner um, about his gambling addiction as well um, and generally sort of gets involved in a in the war in a way that is very difficult to draw like clear ethical lines around um so the novel starts when mali wakes up and he finds out that he has died and is now in the afterlife um and he can't remember how he died um he's given 7 days where he can or 7 moons rather the the 7 moons of the title um we can travel between the afterlife and the world of the living um, and in that time, he tries to figure out how he dies, um, while at the same time trying to get his friends um, who are still living to publish some really important um, and um, ethically significant f- 
photographs that he took. Um, so to open our discussion, um, Philip, I was wondering what your first impressions of the books were, uh, of the book was in relation to what you know about queer literature more broadly. Oh, I'm absolutely going to steal your point here. So obviously we're not just improvising here and we have indeed had have had many discussions about this book already and have made many Google documents, Google shared documents to, to prepare. Um, so I'm seeing your point, which I think very much summarizes my feelings about the book um, in the context of queer literature. Um, and by Steen, uh, Pippa's point, I mean that Pippa has said that to me and um, in one of our conversations, I, and I absolutely agreed and hadn't thought about it before, which is that no one's really discussing it as a piece of queer literature. So it sits in a space of Booker literature now, um, quite likely Sri Lankan literature, and is not really popping up in, you know, LGBT plus bookshops or LGBT plus literature media. It's um, kind of has had a different reception, I think, um, maybe to an extent because this protagonist is that kind of his queerness is I suppose the elements of his life in terms of his romantic relationship are the parts of his personality that are rather unlikable mm -hmm. and obviously it's not the central point of the story either um, on the surface although I would argue that, um, you know, his kind of morality is impacted by the way that society has treated it, um, him and also that what happens to him, at, well, that his death is closely tied to being queer and being victimised as a, as a queer person as well, which, as I mentioned in my intro, is something that I'm quite interested in, um, in terms of how victimization of different types, being vic uh, a victim of cruel and unjust treatment by others impacts our personal lives and well-being. Um, how about you, Pippa? What did you think about um, about the book in the context of queer literature? Yeah, so like one of the reasons that I found it quite difficult to prepare for this discussion is that normally what I do is, you know, I'd have some conversations with my friends who've read the book or I'd look online to you know, some reviews or some fora, like what people are saying about it. Um, but no one, no one I know has actually read it, which is really interesting to me because I know a lot of people are very, very into queer literature, um, who read quite broadly, who, for whom definitely, you know, the fact that it won the Booker Prize would normally, I think, be like an impulse to go and read it. Um, and no one, no one I know has read it, um, except I talked like a couple of days ago to a colleague who specifically works on like Sri Lankan Tam Tamil diaspora. Um, but no one is reading it yet from that perspective. Like this is like a queer book, or this is a book that you know clearly is going to be canonized in the world of literature by virtue of having won the Booker Prize. Um, and that that really surprised me because I kind of compared it to. Um, Shaggy Bain, which I believe also won the Booker Prize, but yeah, 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 yeah it, did. it did. A couple of years um, ago. Which also is like very heavily, you know, set in a particular time, in a particular place, 
you know, at a particular, like, class level. Um, so it isn't at all universalizable to, you know, the end. You know, no one would expect it to, like, represent the entire LGBT plus community, but still people engage with it as a piece of queer literature. That's so interesting, uh, because Shaggy Bane is up... I think that it got so overemphasized as a piece of well it's very metaphorically queer but it's so much less queer in the storyline the storyline to me wasn't even as much about Shaggy as about his mother but yeah in a way the seven moons is very much like these are his queer relationships this is very explicitly like queer sexual relationships queer romantic relationships the way queerness has impacted someone's life where Shaggy Bane is so childhood focused that the most queer it is, which is maybe very important to discuss in literature, is just, um, or not just, but it's um, childhood gender nonconformity. But actually, it never gets to the point of queer life as a late adolescent or adult. Um, and Shaggy doesn't, yeah, Shaggy doesn't have kind of like a romantic life as a character yet because he's so young. Yeah, so, really interesting point. Yeah, and I, I just, I feel like it's, it's, you know, obviously it's like an element of, like, whiteness and the literature of the global south being seen as a very particular kind of literature, whereas literature of the global north is something that is positioned as, you know, we can all relate to that, no matter how, like, specific it is to a particular time or place or um, sense of gender nonconformity. It seems very, like universalizable in a way that global south literature doesn't tend to be positioned as because everything i read about it and everyone i've i have heard talk about it talks about it in the context of like yes sri lankan civil war um or just you know asian literature south asian literature more broadly or booker prize winners um which yeah i find incredibly interesting especially because i don't think that Mali Almeida is like a super like I don't want to say it's like unoriginal because I I do I really really enjoyed the book and again part of why I find it difficult to discuss is because I haven't really read anything like it but Mali as a protagonist and specifically as a as a gay man like gay male character is not unlike a lot of protagonists that we've seen before like the the way his same-sex relationships and his his um, desire and his morality in general are dealt with felt very familiar to me, and it didn't it didn't feel like this was, you know, you have to be Sri Lankan to understand it, or you have to, you know, be very into literature to to get why he does the things he does. Like he's unlikable, as you said, but you know we we've seen a lot of like unlikable gay male characters yeah. in in literature and isn't it worth maybe at this point giving a bit more detail to our listeners if they haven't read um the seven moons yet um so you know we talk about him being unlikable i think i'd briefly kind of summarize it that on the level of this conversation and queerness he has a long-term partner that he continuously cheats on and he's a very sort of hypersexual character who has a lot of casual sex often describes his p 
part sexual partners as um as yo young boys or beautiful boys so implies that they are younger than him might be there might be an element of like power play but also that you know he's kind of into younger men and and possibly into teenagers um there's an element also of um kind of targeting people that are of a lower socioeconomic status to him and become overall it could be said that he picks up people that are vulnerable in some way and or people that are useful to him um as well because like a lot of yeah that's a true. lot of the the relationships obviously relate to how he positions himself through throughout conflict and throughout war and as his position as like a war photographer and like you know people doing uh, a person doing a journalistic job um interacting with officials and civilians and people in high places and people in places that might be a bit like shady um there is definitely yeah as you were saying like that sense of sexuality as power and as something to be utilized um that again like it's it's you know you wouldn't like him if you met him as a person mm. but it's not a million miles away from the way that especially gay male sexuality has been portrayed within literature quite consistently um yes yeah, sorry i think i interrupted you no 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 i i think that was kind of my point and i think you know we we have talked about the fact that um is there an element of him being gay that makes it different or not because really he is a sort of higher or, or more affluent man abusing his position of power to get things done get to the places that he wants within an environment where everyone's doing it and um you know many of his like straight colleagues are doing it um or acquaintances so yeah I, I don't know if it makes it any different but maybe just thinking more broadly about the fact that we do describe him as unlikable or doing certain questionable things we do also have that change in Mali from when we look back at what happened in his life when he recalls things but then we also have Mali after he's passed away which is the kind of concurrent storyline in the book and we've had an impression that Marley's morality has shifted or had shifted when he passed away and it it differs between when he was alive and when he's after death um what do you think about that Pippa yeah um I think so going back slightly to a point you made earlier I think again like that's it's super interesting how to see Mali in the context of these like historical gay male protagonists when we think about his upbringing and you know the difficult relationship he has with his mother and like the sort of friction with his father and again a lot of um same sex like desire often being attributed to difficulties within the home um so again like it doesn't this doesn't feel like it it breaks from that um and what i also find interesting um is that i saw an interview with the author where he said that he didn't um super particularly um 
focus on Mali on like as like um, a gay male um, protagonist. Um, yeah, and and as well because the the novel um, has had such a long trajectory of towards like you know being workshopped for like years and years and years, and then being published in Sri Lanka, and then a different version. Um, kind of being adapted for Western audiences, um, which kind of gives a bit more co- um, context to to the conflict um, for audiences, you know, like myself who aren't familiar um, that much with um, Sri Lankan civil war um, and the history around that. Um, and he did say that the the time that has passed since he started the novel, he probably wouldn't. Um, he wouldn't approach Mali sexuality in the same way now just because no social norms have changed and like the what it means to have this kind of um sexuality in um in a book has changed like the position that you are be that you are seen to take as an author is different now even compared to like you know 5 years ago um, sorry, coming back to your question about like morality. Morality, yes. Um, I I found it difficult not to interpret the character as you know his his sexuality as part of an almost like pathological, um, shady or in between or like not fully to be trusted character so yeah like he has the pathological lying he's got um a gambling habit that he sort of tries and fails to um deal with throughout the novel um he can at times just be like quite unpleasant unpleasant seemingly for no reason um and yeah he's got this this clear drive for a particular position of power, um, which I also found really interesting in in comparison with um, his status as a war photographer, that throughout a lot of his flashbacks about his life, we see him sort of kind of almost put himself on this pedestal of, you know, I'm doing this really important work, I'm doing this, you know, I'm making these pictures that are going to change how people see the conflict. Um from a very, very privileged point of view as someone who's, you know, the character is, um, like, very well off. Um, it is implied that his half similarly status, like, gives him particular privileges within the Civil War or protects him from particular kinds of violences um, that would be enacted on um, people who are Tamil. Um and I find it very difficult to not see the expression of his sexuality and of his sort of same-sex attraction as divorced from that because it's so used um, within his his desire for power. I don't know if that was something that you felt similar about. That feels very like you know constitutionally, this man is just you know trying to grasp something, trying to search for. A particular position and and his sexuality is like undeniably part of that mm. I think I actually felt very differently about it that in that I saw here is a man of certain 
powerful status in the first place and then he just so happens to be gay and that he would have behaved like that towards women um, if he was straight. So his sexuality as a in terms of like he's I would describe him as a hypersexual person, person who uses um and also like kind of person who uses or uses and abuses sex in um different sort of social relationships. That yes, but his homosexuality I didn't really see it as uh, directly connected to his abuses of power and his seeking of power and his poor morality. However, um, I think I did see the fact that he experienced adversity related to being queer in the society and not being included. Maybe there's an element of, you know, as you say, even though he is in this position of power, he's, because of his sort of social class, and having yeah having money having friends in powerful places yeah just purely um his sort of class status there's an element of he is of mixed heritage he is gay and he doesn't quite fit in into places on top of that the whole civil war going on there's a lot of adversity that he encountered throughout his life that contributed to him abusing power and I I just saw these things as a product of these complicated circumstances and him resulting to acting in a certain way and abusing sex for power towards men just because he was gay as I'd already said and in terms of the adversities and how that could have produced him as an immoral person throughout his life I think that we see we see in the afterlife that he he's a bit more reflective on the meaning and at the start he seems to be chasing this ultimate reward of proving that he's done something right in his life and he's going to get these photos out there and throughout the con- concurrent storyline he realizes that that's actually not going to get anywhere and hopefully that's not as, too much of a spoiler to say that he wants these photos to be out there and exhibited and they're going to have a great impact on people becoming aware of the war atrocities but actually they don't have much impact and I think that he realises that they probably won't have that much impact before they don't have it and it's part of this process of him I think immediately after death he's seeking this like massive morality as a um, or or like seeking to be very moral, moral and compensate for the bad things that he did during his life and make sure that his his partner's fine, his friends are fine, and also that he's done something greater for humanity to justify his bad actions during life. And then, you know, that fails and he's become he becomes a bit more reflective indirectly. And more importantly, I think the, narr- the narration becomes more reflective and then gets to the point where he meets this leopard towards the end of the book when it's already been his seven moons and he's kind of moved on and has a role in this afterlife and this was a kind of very great closure for me and I really like this plot of of him meeting this character and having discussions with this character around morality and I'll just read out a couple of things from from there that I found really interesting and this will this will probably be the last reflections that I share about the seven moons of Mali Almeida. So here is um, 
one thing that the leopard says to Marley. I tried to survive without killing. Lasted a month. What to do? I'm a savage beast. Only humans can practice compassion properly. Only humans can live without being cruel. Interesting, but then also, I do think that afterwards, um, there is a similar conversation about humans also being the only people who can choose not to kill and choose not to be violent, um, which I also found really interesting. Of like, it's not, you know, throughout this the whole novel, we we deal with this question of like, are people are people the circumstances in, in which they're born and to what extent does your birth and, um, you know, your caste, your um, ancestry, your mixed race status, your um, sexuality, to what extent does that define your life and are you sort of locked into what it is that you're born as? And I think at the end the answer is not if you're a human because you can choose, like... I think it was something like rabbits can choose not to... Yeah, not yeah to, exactly. Um, sorry, rabbits can't choose to be herbivores, um, but humans can, for instance. So, like, a rabbit doesn't have... doesn't choose not to kill other animals, but humans can, and I find that really interesting. Also, what I haven't heard anyone say yet, which, like, this is this is angels in America. Like, it's it's the same contemplations, and it's the same... I mean, obviously, they're, like, very broad contemplations of like life death morality like free choice agency so you know obviously they're going to come up again and yeah. again and again in literature more broadly um but i'm very surprised that like for you know two major prize-winning works with such similar themes and such similar like build-ups and structure that's not a, a, a link that i've seen anyone made when they even to down to the bits of dialogue i'm like this this could have been you could you could edit this into a performance of Angels in America and people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, mm. I didn't realise that was in the script. Um, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, which, again, I feel like there's there's this, can, this Western canon of what is gay literature and gay writing that this is somehow excluded from, even though it touches on so many of the same issues, um, which really is just, like, a feature of how we see you know, global South literature or literature by and about, you know, people of colour. Um, yeah, so I think that that was my soapbox mm. on that. Um, do you have any last sort of, like, remarks before we, before we I think, go to the closing bit? No, um, I have found the quote. Um, so this is the end of the exchange that I was reading from earlier. Not sure if you get to choose. Oh, that is one thing I am certain of. We all get to choose. If you can't bring me back as a human, bring me back as a leopard with the smarts of a queen bee, the soul of a blue whale, and the opposable thumbs of a savage monkey, because opposable thumbs are essential when screwing bulbs. Uh, okay, so yeah, I think with that, um, we've reached the end of... Um, the book discussion and almost the end of the recording but before we leave um let's discuss who would you recommend this book to and why um i think i'll give like like a good answer and then a cynical answer and i think my good answer is i would recommend it to um just people who like reading because i just think it's very 
I think the dialogue is really nice. I can I can imagine people like reading bits out to each other as the characters. Um, I think that you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'd recommend it to actors because that would be a fun exercise. Um, I think it's really funny. I haven't really touched upon like the bits that are like clearly like satirical or clearly like I don't know, just so incredibly dark and humorous um, that it's just like the novel is full of it um, and I think especially towards the end like the pace picks up quite a bit um, and the humour picks up a bit as well um, so I think anyone who maybe finds it like you know difficult to read like novels where not much happens like this isn't one of those like lots happens and it's Absolutely. it's really really fun um so yeah just people who like reading um which is very broad but you know you know the type you know the type the person who you know you always give them a book for christmas and then you're like oh maybe they already have it because they're a person who likes reading um then my cynical answer is i think that this is a really it's going to be one of those books that's going to be on a bookshelf to impress people um so i think i would give it to some of my white friends or white acquaintances who really want to show that they're like down with the people of color and are very cool and interesting because i do think it's like perfect for that in terms of like you know like multiply like oppressed like protagonist within um a civil war um i think again like it's one of the reasons that that is something that is talked about in press releases and when it won the booker prize i think people find it or want to be seen to be reading it as people who are like cultured and like are interested in quote-unquote global literature um so that's my very cynical and mean answer um I think you touched on an interesting point of like it's an action-filled book so I'd recommend it to people who like books that maybe have less reflections and more like jumping from like the characters are being described as like jumping off a building and flying there and moving there and there and it is quite action-filled which I found difficult myself even though I really enjoyed the book I found it difficult to follow it visually because I have a harder time building these pictures in my head but if you're a fan of like action-filled books I feel, I feel like it also like shows the sort of complexity of the novel and of the world building and like the the mythology around it is that yeah we we're coming to the end of the recording and we're like oh yeah we haven't explained this like basic rule of like how he yeah, transports yeah. as a as a as a character with the wind um yeah with the wind um as you do um yeah it's a very complex novel but very yeah very action-packed very fun um brilliant all right All right, I think that brings us to the end. So I think this is the part where we tell you how to get in contact with us. So if you would like to share your thoughts on the podcast, give us any feedback or get into a conversation about this book or other queer books, or maybe you've read The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida yourself and you've got some reflections that you'd like to share, you can email us at queerpagespod at gmail.com you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram um, at ad, um, 
Create Pages pod. And also you can find us individually on Twitter uh, at Pippa Sturk. So that's P-I-P-P-A-S-T-E-R-K and at Philip Kaleta 3. So that's F-I-L-I-P-K-A-L-E-T-A 3. Well, thank you so much for listening and tune in for further episodes and hope to see you slash hear you at the next Queer Book Club.